0: hey happy sunday this is pfg live welcome aboard hey we have our first weather uh report via video from tuck (laughs) who reports 59 and a half degrees fahrenheit approximately 16 degrees science thank you tuck uh you can go back to the finger sandwiches now i appreciate that uh let's see warren jones in the north of uh New Hampshire here is reporting cloudy 56 degrees, 13 cent centigrade, humidity 67%. I'm not going to read this whole thing. Uh, Josh is reporting minus 0.2 science with a uh, humidity of 91% and raining going to minus 10 tonight. Holy cow. Over on the uh, Discord server, we're getting reports flying in. John Thawley reports 59 degrees and raining in sunny Southern California near Disneyland, where everybody is happy. Carl Tauber down in the People's Republic of Rhode Island reports 60 degrees and sunny. Hi, Carl, my neighbor. Uh, Wes reports four inches of snow and counting. <laughs> Don't you know it's spring? C.J. Stevens reports uh, 71 degrees and sunny in East tennessee welcome aboard sir almost machining is here with 67 in sun city arizona breezy with clouds lots of scraping and a lot of indicating jeff lawford from wasilla alaska reports a cloudy and calm eight degrees fahrenheit welcome aboard andrew deer is here hi there he says 40 degrees fahrenheit light rain winds 16 gusting 23 in oregon's willamette valley welcome sir Josh says, audio check is good. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Scott M. is here. 72 Fahrenheit and sunny in Peoria, Illinois. Welcome aboard. Widgetworks is here. Minus 16 C in oil country, mostly cloudy in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Stand. Welcome aboard. Taunus Mechanics is here with 17 Science and sunny near Frankfurt, Germany. Welcome. Okay. Um, <laughs> Carl correctly asks the question: How can it be spring if the snowometer is still out? <laughs> You're not wrong. We will have to bring the snowometer in. Uh, I will check with the boss to see if it's time. Evils is reporting 19.6 science, 49.40 percent relative humidity at his desk. Welcome, Evils. Let's see. Did we get everybody? We got tauna. So in the in the Discord server today, we have Tux Garage. Warren Jones, Evils, WidgetWorks, Josh, Proteum Machining. Welcome aboard, uh, Dylan. Almost Machining, Pertnir Machining, Carl <laughs> Tauber, Daniel F., and Scott M. Welcome, guys. Well, hey, it's a beautiful Sunday here. I got to give my weather report. It's currently 55 degrees Fahrenheit, 73% relative humidity. Winds are out of the north. At eight miles per hour. The the Manchester, New Hampshire airport at, uh, let's see, 1853 Zulu is reporting winds 340 at 14, gusting 20 knots, a little windy, 10 mile visibility, broken clouds at 2,900 feet, temperature 13, dew point zero seven, altimeter 3011. Remarks? Unimportant. So, uh, Flat Lapper, sir. Hey, thanks for checking in with me on email. We will continue the conversation. I promise. Flatlapper checks in from northern Illinois, 64 sunny with 23 mile per hour winds. It's a little windy around town. Pretty cool. And uh, I did get a message from, uh, from Robin Ranzetti who said he might be late. It's okay, Robin. We'll allow it. Uh, Robert Simpson has checked in. 57 Fahrenheit, partly cloudy, near Detroit, but he's not saying where. Well, welcome. Yeah, beautiful day here. We needed it. So you know it's a change of season. <laughs> when when your wife says it's okay to take down the the lighted snowflakes hanging in the front of the house. <laughs> so so this morning we took down the snowflakes. And uh now I know spring is here. So that's that's good. Um yeah lots of stuff going on. If you, if you watched uh, recently, you know, I started this, I started this thing, which I'm calling quick chips, which are basically short videos. So I've done some long form videos, you know, hour, hour and a half, pretty long. Uh, and they needed it and, and people enjoyed it. But what was happening was the, the overhead associated with doing that is, is, is pretty high cameras and tripods and lighting and all that kind of stuff. So I said, you know, I just got to start doing some quick and easy stuff with my iPhone, which is an awesome camera. So we started doing that, and my goal is sub-10-minute videos following along on a project. So we currently have two projects going on. One of them is um, a square, and one of them is a sign plate. Now both of these are signed uh, maker, how do you say it? Uh, made by artisans and, and signed. Could have been students, couldn't have been a machinist in a shop, it could have been a toolmaker. That that's the interesting thing. We have no idea. But I decided that we're gonna we're gonna grind in these tools and bring you guys along. And this the the um the response has been tremendous and I've been having a lot of fun because I can sneak down to the shop. I could do a little bit of work. I could make a quick video, pop it up and, and March the project along. So we're going to talk today about one of those projects, um, which is coming in for a landing pretty soon. Uh, and I wanted, I want more feedback from you guys about how you like the format of quick chips because I've been enjoying it. I will tell you something. Uh, I was, Part of my requirements for Quick Chips was to be able to edit it on my phone. So, at least one of the videos you've seen in the Quick Chip series was shot on my phone, edited on my phone, and posted from my phone, which, and it came out really well. But the software I was using, which was um, Adobe Premiere Rush, it's called, I've given up on it. Um, It's not compatible with anything you can't transfer files with anything. It's terrible. So I use Premiere Pro Adobe Premiere Pro. I love it. And it's not that much more effort to to go upstairs to the office and do a proper editing job. So that's that's the new thing. So if you've seen the if you see if you've seen the closing bumper on the last few videos, you know that that was done in Premiere Pro. let's see somebody just checked in carl says i like the format and i prefer the quick clips to reels on instagram i don't like reels and i don't like shorts on youtube um i i literally skip over shorts i don't want to look at shorts so i I, i'm not going to make shorts and i'm not going to make um I I might automatically make reels sometimes if you post a short video but basically I kind of like how we're doing it and I I like using YouTube for that. Anyway, moving on. Welcome Thomas Hardy who checked in on uh on Discord. Uh no dance challenges. You can't dance in the shop. It's it's against the oh shit regulations. Um so we won't be doing that. Uh <laughs> So uh, that's Quick Chips. So that's been going really well. I've been having a lot of fun with it, and we'll we will continue to do that. A little bit of bad news. Um, I'm speaking to you on a, a Heil microphone. Those of you who are observant might might have seen the name Heil right there. Um, yeah, Josh. Josh says, "What about the safety dance? How about the safety third dance?" Um, so I use a I use a Heil mic, and I've got a Heil sticker. Sitting right there. And unfortunately, we lost Bob Heil. uh, I think last week he passed away. Uh, And he made a good product and cared about audio a lot. He's got a very interesting history in the world of audio. And we will continue using his excellent products. So, 73, Bob Heil. Um, Moving on. Let's see. Uh, Those of you who have been watching carefully might have noticed this morning's post um, that included a new sticker. So I wanted I want to announce a new sticker in the sticker drawer, and that is this, inspired by our very own OX Tools. It says, "Every gauge block starts on a saw." <laughs> so this was a quote from uh, from OX Tools uh, when he was on the PFG Live a few weeks ago, and I just got inspired. So this sticker is now in, in stock, and uh, if you want one, we'll figure out how to get one. Warren Jones says, quick chips are good. Thank you, Warren. That's a detailed analysis if I ever saw one. Um, yeah, Carl, Carl says, it's easier to find old content on YouTube than Instagram. Absolutely, incontrovertibly so. In fact, when we did the big switch, you know, we've been doing PFG Live since before we were using YouTube. We were using Instagram. In fact, uh, my first interview with Robin Renzetti was on Instagram Live. And getting, extracting those videos from from Instagram was a science project, Uh, but we did. And we didn't capture 100% of the old videos, but certainly all the good ones are up on the YouTube. Um, and I, yes, I like it way, way much better. So, new sticker. Uh, we also got in the, uh, the stickers from WidgetWorks, uh, or I should say uh, from WidgetWorks Design. And those are in stock. So, two new stickers. You'll see those kicking around. Um, and keep an eye out for that. So the sign plate, I've been working on the sign plate and uh, there are some parts of it that are, that are easy and simple. And there are some parts of it that are hard and, um, it wasn't in the best shape. Let's see if I can show you a picture of it. it it's, it's actually in our, um, in our thumbnail, you can see the sign plate uh, sitting right there. Uh, It wasn't in the best of shape uh, when I got it from uh, Hermit Shed. Very nice gift. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, It clearly had corrosion on it. Uh, Probably was rode hard, put away wet. But it has a signature on it. And the signature on it was Charles W. Sullivan. So I did a little searching. And, oh, Robin's here. Hey, you're not that late. (laughs) Robin is checking in from somewhere in the east and he says sunny and beautiful that's all we need same here by the way it's gorgeous out Um, so this sign plate comes in and it's signed by Charles W Sullivan and he might have been um, well we're not really sure I'm not gonna make any guesses I did a search online as one does and I came up with some information that I don't believe was a good correlation um, but that's his name. His name is Charles W. Sullivan, and we're fixing his, his work. So in, in the latest, um, <laughs> Evil says, so now you've featured Gilbert and Sullivan. You know, <laughs> your perfect recall is starting to get on my nerves. Um, A B Shop is here. Welcome aboard uh, from Italy. 12 degrees Celsius and sunny. Welcome, sir. Your weather is not too different from here. So we took uh, we took Mr. Sullivan's uh, sign plate apart. We featured a bunch of videos, a bunch of quick uh, quick chips videos on it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but the most important thing about this project is it's teaching me. It, it's showing me errors, right? I'm finding errors. So at first, you find the errors in the in the part, right? You say, "Oh, th- this isn't," you know parallel with that and this distance is not exactly what it should be and correct. Now you go to try to fix it and then you you measure I should I shouldn't speak in the general. I measured my work and it's like, oh, what I thought I did, I didn't do. What's going on here? So it, it's been a really cool uh, set of lessons in wheel pressure and backlash. And dressing the wheel, it's been really cool. So I'm going to share a little bit of, about some of what we learned. I put it in the video, so I'm not going to spend a lot of, of detail time on it. But I think the biggest the biggest uh, lesson I learned was I got, uh, once again, this is a very easy trap to fall into. I got, I got mesmerized by precision instead of accuracy. Okay, so I I got this shiny you know CNC grinder and it's got X and Y and Z to well, it doesn't have X it has Y and Z to five decimal places. It's like hey I could dial in ten millionths of an inch. Watch click click click. I'm dialing in ten yeah well that's, that's nice. That is precision, not accuracy. So I'm I start chasing these errors. Uh, in particular, the two surfaces on the sign plate which space the rolls apart, okay? It's got to space the rolls apart by 5 inches, 5.000000 000 000 inches. And uh, my, I, I get a message from Chuck Bomarito uh, outside Screwball, and Chuck says, hey, how are you going to ensure the distance between those two Robert. Yeah. Robert Simpson says resolution. Yeah. Another word for, 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 uh, uh, precision is resolution, but it's, it's, it's how finely you're dividing it. Right. So Chuck says, how, how are you going to ensure, ensure the distance between those two, those two surfaces? And I said, well, Chuck, I, in fact, it's, it's, it's in writing somewhere in one of the chat channels. I don't, I don't remember which channel it was on. I said, well, Chuck, you know this thing has five decimal places, and it's not fooling around. <laughs> okay, so when you when you make a big bold statement like that, it's almost inevitable that the universe is about to teach you a good lesson. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. I, I I side wheel, I side wheel the first surface. Okay, and then I zip out until my display says. 5.000. actually I, I went a little bit further and then i started marching into 5.0000. and you know i declared myself done right up until i measured it so that's that's in the quick chip series you got to go watch watch the videos won't take long i had i was off by one thousandth of an inch Now that does not sound like a lot if you're if you're on a bridgeport you're ready you could take an early lunch yeah carl says his foot and mouth disease yeah there's many descriptions for this disease so i was off a thousandth of an inch i'm like where the hell did a thousandth of an inch come from well the list of errors is ample okay robin robin can make a two-hour video on the errors that i made so the first thing is I was side wheeling and I was not, I was lazy. Okay. I knew when I did it that I needed to dress the wheel differently for side wheeling. And I didn't, I just said, nah, this will work fine. And I went ahead and, and that, so that's error number one. Um, let's talk about that for a second. When you have a, a wheel that's properly dressed, you've, you know, f- You've you've mounted it, you've balanced it, you've dressed it. You dress it on the bottom, but you also dress it on the sides, especially when you first mount the wheel onto a hub. You might not, you know, if you're just doing uh, simple surface grinding, you might not dress it on the sides again, but certainly when you start, you dress it on the sides. And then you balance it. Yes, Robin, I hear you. You balance it using any method you want, <laughs> and then... You go to town. Well, if you try to instead of using the bottom of the wheel, if you try to side wheel, in other words, you're using the side of the wheel, as I was doing. It is not, it is not the best configuration to, to grind to side wheel on the surface grinder with a flat, un, unotherwise dressed wheel. See an excellent video by Steve Barton. Uh, Oh, I wish I remember the title of it. I don't remember the title of it, but it's something about side wheeling and setting up for side wheeling. And he teaches you how to dress the wheel for side wheeling. And it involves relieving the wheel except for a little rim at the periphery. And if you think about it, what it does is it, it puts all the pressure on that periphery on that small land if you don't dress the wheel the the pressure that you're putting on the work is spread out over a large area so now to get it to cut you have to put more tool pressure on the on the wheel and and you're going to essentially bend the wheel and you're going to get a lousy finish etc 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 so that was the first error okay the the nature of that is to leave too much material, right? Um, or more than you thought. It leaves it leaves a poorer finish. It does a whole bunch of things. So um, I knew I had to uh, address that, and I did. Uh, the way I addressed it was, oh, I, I remember. So the reason I was lazy is I wanted my. There we go. Thank you, Robert. Uh, the title of the video is Dressing... Is that the title of the video, Dressing the Side of a Grinding Wheel, um, on YouTube? So Steve Barton is Solid Rock Machining. In fact, it's, it's Steve that made that beautiful big tooling block that I used uh, in the videos for the square, for restoring that square. Anyway... I wanted to go over to my fancy Okamoto, uh, CNC grinder and say to it, Hey, I I know, you know how to, how to dress a wheel. So what I want you to do is dress a wheel. Uh, let's see if I get your picture here. I needed to dress the wheel for side wheeling. There it is. So the link is in the uh, discord. It's called dressing the side of a grinding wheel by solid rock machine shop on YouTube. Thank you, sir come on, where's the picture? It's in here somewhere. Isn't this exciting, uh, exciting material? All right. I'm not finding it too quick, so we'll just have to talk about it. So the Okamoto is capable of, of grinding a form onto the wheel and then using that for form grinding. In fact, it's known as, as a CNC form grinder. That's what they call it. I couldn't get it to work. I couldn't make that particular form, forming, that's what their, their term is, uh, process work. It, I kept getting assist, an error and, and time was ticking. And I said, well, I could, I could dress it manually as, as Steve shows how to do in his, uh, in his excellent video. And I got lazy and I just didn't. So that was error number one. Later, by the way, I find out how to do it, and I show it in the video, C video, uh, the Quick Chips video, and that solved that problem. But then, after solving that problem, it still was not coming in correctly. I was still getting an error. And all of a sudden, light dawns on Marblehead, and I said, you know, I wonder if I have backlash. And this is where you know, getting mesmerized by five decimal places on your screen is dangerous. It's like it's still a machine; it still has backlash. But I knew that the Fanuc control and probably all CNC controls have backlash compensation. So I set up and I measured the backlash. See video. And sure enough, I had oh, Oscar's here. Oscar, welcome aboard. Nice to see you. Uh, so uh, I I had four ten thousandths of an inch of backlash. Once again, that does not sound like a lot, but remember we had this initial error after after I was all you know <laughs> full of myself thinking I was done. We had a one thousandth of an uh, of an inch error. Potentially backlash could have been four tenths of that. So we're we're kind of whittling away at it. So I went through the process of measuring the backlash in the machine and putting in a compensation value in the FNUC control, which happened to be 122 in uh, parameter 1851 for those of you playing at home. I went ahead and I did that and I ended up basically compensating out uh, the backlash. So now proper wheel dress check compensated out the backlash check um and then i went ahead and and created the the final video in which I, it's not perfect i still kind of fumbled a little bit in particular my touch off for some reason my touch off seemed a little strong those of you who do surface grinding probably felt the same way uh but then I went ahead and I dialed in my two ten thousandths of an inch for the final landing. This is, we were right at the end there, and it came in perfectly. So the lessons learned there were proper wheel dress, not optional, um, uh, you know, proper uh, backlash compensation, whether you're, even if you're on a manual machine. If I was on a manual machine, uh, the, and even on this machine, I could have set up an indicator like I did in the video, where I measured my backlash. I could have set up an indicator, e- even as a backup, and and seen everything. So there were the lessons learned were plentiful, and uh, in in retrospect, quite enjoyable. And I I'm glad I did it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Jeff Loffert diplomatically said, the touch off was. Kind of sparkly. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. That was very, that was very gentle. I appreciate it. Oh, Robin says conformity ratio. Ooh, Robin. You might have to come in and explain conformity ratio because I love, I I don't know if you remember this. Do you guys, you guys in discord remember this back in the eighties? I used to, yeah, I played bass for conformity ratio. I am not sure uh I'm sh- not sure what that means. And if you want to if you want to come in and talk, just uh hit the button. Um if you hit the button, stand by people. I have I have a couple of buttons to hit. Yeah, I got to turn on your video. Unix Carbide is, is reporting late on the Lower East Side, 63 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny. And for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, the Lower East Side is in Manhattan. Okay, so we got video up on you and stand by. Welcome aboard, Mr. Robin Ranzetti. Uh, no audio from you. Hang on. Yeah, it's you. You're, you're, you're muted. I got to un either you unmute you, you or I'll unmute you. Hang on, I'll unmute you. We're I got doing it live. It. there you go. You I got did it. it.
1: Uh, again, I'm no expert, but conformity ratio in grinding is something that's very important to understand. Calculating a number is is kind of irrelevant. It's more getting the the idea. Um, picture a one inch diameter ID, and you put a .999 grinding wheel inside it, internal grinding wheel. Your conformity ratio is basically 100% contact on one side. As soon as you start moving sideways, you have a full 180 degree arc of contact. Similar to face grinding with a grinding wheel, you have two planes coming into engagement. Problem with that is huge amount of particles engaging simultaneously. Very hard to get a bite because this grinder is not stiff enough to make this huge number of particles engage another very important principle in grinding is realizing the engaged area of of grinding meaning your depth of cut your width of cut all these things anything you do if you're on a you know an average grinder that's not ultra stiff You will find that you need to keep decreasing these things to get that engaged area to where the grinder is able to maintain and engage and actually create the depth of cut rather than just springing away because of this huge area. So, face grinding is a prime example of this huge conformity ratio. Um, It also applies where wheels will act softer or or behave better when they're smaller diameter. So, you put a big eight inch wheel in. That conformity ratio is much more engagement. So for 1,000,000th depth of cut, the actual, you know, if you just do the geometry, you're going to get an arc of contact that's a certain, well, if you drop that to a 6-inch wheel, that arc of contact gets immensely shorter. So all these things apply into how much loading is going on in the cut zone, which affects whether your grinder is actually doing it or springing away or some unknown mess in the middle.
0: Am I correct? So when you're... Am I correct in saying that your dress of the wheel affects that? And if you choose to dress it so that you have a yeah. smaller contact area, yeah. you can, you can control that.
1: Yes, absolutely. So that's why, you know, dropping the wheel width can help. Um, all those things. Uh, you can sl- slowing your wheel speed. There's a million ways. That's why grinding is part black art is I have a whole listing of things of what makes your wheel behave sharper or softer or harder and all the effects of that a myriad number of things that all interact that's why it's such a mess but getting a mental grasp of of all of those things so that when you're doing things you can do all the exact same things and put in a diamond that's worn a little bit more than the other diamond and now the contact area of that diamond and it's it's dressing behavior throws all the other parameters out the window and you chase your tail, so you have to be juggling these things in your mind. Of okay, what's you know what's which ones have I controlled, and which one's the one that you know I, I suspect is the one that's actually causing me trouble. Are you are you but trying to the, say on?
0: The, are you trying to say that grinding looks deceptively simple, and it's not? Um, are uh, it? yes?
1: Yeah. Well, it's just like all machining, it the, the more the more you understand the mechanics, and are able to think of them simultaneously when you're doing things it, the awareness of it like, like none of this stuff requires calculating numbers but it uh, um it helps you get to the point and grinding is the worst you know machining with inserts that's that's child's play because there's a this limited number of things all very controllable all you know the inserts are super consistent where grinding is just a mess. It's just a mess. And, and you have to get your head wrapped around all of the messiness and and narrow them down. But uh, side wheeling, um, that's especially bad for the arc of contact. And that's why um, if you really want a crisp side grind, you have to have a fairly aggressive angle on the wheel. So you're literally cutting almost with just a single row of particles on on the outside edge Mm -hmm. number two uh in my opinion purely opinion probably people throw stones at me after i say this but i you never you never move in a few tenths at a time and peck away or don't take the full width of cut whatever the depth of face you're doing take your wheel all the way down to the bottom wherever it's going to end up depth wise put it there Whatever you're going to take off, yeah, if you, if you need to nail something, let's say you got a couple thousandths to take off, three thousandths to take off before you start getting, uh, you know, more accurate. Move in the three thousandths and creep feed through there. Number one, what you're doing is you're making the OD of the wheel, which has an immensely better conformity ratio than the face, do the grinding. When you move over a couple tenths, you're now just expecting this huge contact area which unfortunately drastically changes you come on initially you got this little teeny corner at the top and it grinds way deeper because it's not being sprung away yet and then as it gets deeper and deeper and gets the full arc of contact of just the leading edge of the wheel it there's a whole progression of the shape of the parts changing because of all this loading Mm-hmm. And then the tail end starts coming in because it didn't necessarily remove all the material. Now you've got two front and back segments leaning on the wheel. And then when you go off the other end, you've got the same thing again. All of a sudden, and if you go measure that and take a look at that, you're like, "Holy smokes, what happened here?" You know, the grinder's supposed to be straight. Wheels flexing, spindles flexing, all these things from this huge change of things going on. Did, but did you did you see the, the last video? No, I did not. I saw all okay. of them but the last video. Okay. Um, so that that's but still, that's the best way to take all that material off. Um, second thing is is that um, especially side wheeling, but grinding in general, typically, unless you're out for a finish and you're doing things to get a finish that are legal ways to get there, shiny means dull wheel, and you're burnishing.
2: So if you see a
1: super glossy side grind, like I did, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble (laughs) because the, the, the reason it's so shiny is all those particles are just glazing. It's kind of like using a flat stone on a part. It can't get a bite. And the more you rub it, the shinier it gets. (laughs) And that's what's going on. When you get it, when you get a,
0: that's a really uh, good analogy thing going on here.
1: Yeah. So Typically, if you're really out for precision, what you do is you would blast that material off. Let's say you're going to, you know, get re- rid of your decarb layer or whatever, and you need to remove some material. You'd go and blast that off Creep feeding. When I say creep feed, I'm talking about very slow feed, like we said, full depth, good coolant. Um, don't do it on a rack and pinion grinder because you need to be, basically, when you're doing that with a cable grinder and you're doing it manually, you've got two hands on there, and you are forcibly holding that wheel to can't run away in theory, it can climb on, and um, it's not as quite as scary as you'd expect, but it, in theory, it can grab and go through. So you're basically rigidly going through, nice and slow, just so that it cuts nicely, but not too slow. You don't want to glaze. You want to force the wheel to cut. Get rid of your material. Redress. Dead sharp. You should get a, a matte grind, and you should be able to see individual streaks of grinding particles. Nice crosshatch if your spindle's lined up square, you know to your table travel nice cross hatch but as soon as you see shiny you say okay i might know i'm not sharp so it's not uncommon to uh dress and there's absolutely nothing wrong with just taking a like a diamond core drill is a is a good dresser for that and you go in there and just give a swipe just on on the very outside edge you must use just the outside edge because otherwise you can end up with a shape. And I would almost guarantee you had a shape on yours dressing the wheel flat because it's going to wear more at the edge and climb up and, yeah, and be a mess. I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, abusive. I'm just saying we, bo- we both know what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, so well, that, I'll, that's... I'll quit the reason, there, but that's... No, that's awesome. That was, like, worth its weight in in diamonds. Uh, the reason I asked you if you saw the last video is uh, I, I confessed a whole bunch of that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of kind of like okay, yeah, yeah it was like okay we finally figured this out so uh thank you that's really huge and besides the fact that there are about a dozen people that have just given up their grinding career in favor of taking up baking uh i think <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a super good uh a super good explanation but that's exactly what was going on i was experiencing some real um some real uh issues with the side grinding and as i Got the wheel dress right, and I don't even know if it was right, but it was way better. And and then I got the, you know, the other stuff right. It it all started making sense. And and the very last one of the very last shots in the last video was I started getting the 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 crosshatch pattern on that surface. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, okay. now that looks like I ground something instead of you know, you know, flame hardened it or whatever. Um, Yeah. Then one,
1: one one other thing involved there is like let's say your grinder axis was accurate. Let's say it had linear scale feedback and all that, so that if you move five inches, it was exactly five inches. Um, you still have to be very careful there that that because you need to grind with such a almost ragged edge. Uh, now, if production grinders with the wheel that's got the right structure and everything, a lot of this stuff goes out the window. I'm talking about the home guy or the, or the small shop guy with a eight inch wheel and just a generic wheel, not something that's tuned for side grinding. Um, but the, that ragged edge is delicate. So you do need to be taking this last cut and only take a 10th off or so just enough that you just, and then, so it's doing very little work, but it's stable you do have to use it enough that it's not crumbling away and getting in getting to the point where it's stable once it's stable and then go and take your move take your other cut still creep feed full depth full cut whatever and all at once like stepping down a little bit a little bit a little bit a little bit um i some of my older grinding videos show some pretty aggressive material removal using the creep feed full depth Whatever you know from saw material taken off a 16th of an inch and just wha- you know right through. Um, and it, 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 that's in my opinion, that's the best way to, to do that. Now, I- last thing, because I, I don't want to take the whole thing, but um, this is extremely important in cylindrical grinding. When you cylindrical grind, you say, Oh, okay, I'm going to make a cylindrical square. So if I come up and i have this thing between centers and i ground it it's perfectly straight now i'm going to come down and i'm going to side wheel the end square guess what this is not as easy as it sounds mm. there the, the real subtleties are even when everything's perfect uh, this is this is a uh, this is a, uh, a a golden nugget that, that's worth remembering the biggest mistake in side grinding even when everything's perfect these people come up, they grind, things spinning around, and they boom, they come off the wheel just all at once. When you have a mil- indicator that can measure in millions, you can see it. You can see the place where you jumped off the part. <laughs> you can actually see the step. Because okay? the, so it's very as you, you as
0: you pull it out, the tool pressure goes up and it starts cutting more. Is that what you're saying? Well,
1: no, no it's actually that you're you're if you don't back off gently whatever spring and things were on there, you get a literal step. So when you grind, everything's grinding perfect. You come up and you hit it, nice grind, you're getting your cross hatch and everything. But when you pull away, literally pull away super slow, mm. or speed, the spindle, the speed up of the part, such that there's a, a multiple revolutions of, of as you're ramping off. So to come off that face, extremely slow uh, to get very, you know, perfect TIR. Cause If you measure that TR, if you're measuring with a 50 million indicator, you're not going to see it. But if you're measuring with something that you can see in five, you know, five millionths, one millionth, you can actually see the phenomenon. So that's I'll I'll quit there.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. That was truly awesome. I think we, I think we need to do a grinding video. uh, Just talk about that stuff from beginning to end. That's sort of the advanced, I, I have two videos in mind. One is, is the, the basic one which i can do because i'm basic uh uh so you bought a so you bought a surface grinder that's that's the name of the video but then i think once once you get down the road i you you need to teach all this stuff and and get it uh, recorded for posterity thank you very much robin you're awesome yep, you're welcome. you can go have some more finger sandwiches in the discord that was, was that cool or what thank you robin i appreciate it uh, let's see. Uh, almost machining says not easy or trivial. The wheel relieves its load and returns from all over. So absolutely true. Pra- Practical Renaissance says, oh, hey, former baker here. <laughs> Are you, and, and now what do you think about grinding? Uh, awesome. Okay. That was, that was more than I expected and it's fantastic. Yeah. That was the experience is like finally, you know, knocking down these pegs. And when I finished that thing, by the way, do I think I got it perfect? I think I got it perfect by accident, in some respects. But um, I'm glad I landed the airplane, and that's the video that Robin's going to be watching later as he as he finishes his finger sandwiches. Um, so talk about accuracy versus precision. I have to show you this. Uh, I have to show you this this picture that I took this morning. It's a screenshot off my phone. Um, I, I use, and I do a lot of stuff with GPS, so I do the normal, you know, sort of the normal stuff with GPS, but I also do some precision timekeeping and I've done, I've done surveying stuff with GPS and, and this is, I'm going to show you an app, uh, that I use on my phone. One of the apps, um, let's see. Yeah, there it is. So there's a screenshot from a GPS uh, application. By the way, if you want to come visit me, that's that's where you go. <laughs> uh, but the funny part about this, what's the? Well, let me ask you, dear audience, what do you think the funniest part about this is? Let's count the decimal places: one, two, three, four, five, six. Six decimal places of degrees north and degrees west. The funnier part is when you're looking at the app on the phone; these digits are not changing they're not flipping around. There's no noise in the the number. So this is what we call very high precision, very low accuracy. So that, I could tell you that that has an estimated position error of 10 meters. Okay. Maybe one meter if there's some very, very sexy processing going on. But That number is not accurate to six decimal places uh, of a degree. So there's a real world, much more accessible example of, oh, here's a very high precision number, but it's actually wrong. So uh, I just wanted to uh, share that with you. Um, What just happened? You missed all that? Somebody give me some feedback. Uh, Tuck, what do you got, Tuck? Hang on. I got to turn on your, your uh, video. What happened? What happened?
2: The last info that we had was uh, good to six decimal. But what we call that in the industry is.
0: Oh, something. Ha- yes. Yeah. You froze okay. for the last few seconds. I'll, re- I'll repeat that. Thank you very much, sir. I'll repeat that for everybody. Um, there was something technical that went on. I heard a a system noise, but apparently we're back. This is what happens when you do it live, people. Okay, so so looking at the slide again, there's there's six digits of precision, but it doesn't tell you anything about the accuracy. A good a good um, GPS system, a professional GPS system, will also give you a number called estimated position error. And estimated position error tells you, based on everything I can tell. Sir, this this is the number, and it's good to this error. And that error typically is between ten meters for a run of the mill, um, a run of the mill uh, GPS uh, to maybe one meter if it's doing some really cool processing. And some of the phones are capable of getting data over Wi-Fi and doing some uh, uh, accelerometer stuff, but. Yeah, P-Dop, P-DOP. Exactly, Carl, uh, which is uh, Position Dilution of Precision. How Did, did I get it right? So, uh, same thing, you know, I buy this grinder, it's got 27 million decimal places and I think I'm, you know, hot stuff. Yeah, no, not so much. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, let's see. We talked about most of my list here, I think. Um, Oh, so, uh, we're, we're fixing to get ready to, uh, do the next project. And I showed, I showed some uh, hockey pucks on Instagram, uh, of 52, 100 steel. Now I did talk to, uh, somebody, I don't know if you know this guy, his name is Robin Renzetti. I talked to Robin and, uh, because Robin had shown a really nice little toolmaker's flat in one of his videos. And I wanted to make a toolmaker's flat. So I called Robin and I said, or whatever, messaged. And I said, um, um, oh, Carl says PDOP is th- is 3 dh HDOP." Okay, so it, yeah, in GPS, you can have a, a position error, but you could also have a three-dimensional error. And that's a whole other topic. Yeah, uh, Unix Carbide correctly says uh, y- you should lube the GPS with a light oil. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Anyway, so Robin uh, explained his design for his really cool uh, toolmakers flat that he made. And it had an, basically a, a nice healthy uh, groove um, in the side. So I said, you know what, that's as good a design, come on, focus. Focus, focus, there we go. That's that's a good design. So we're going to go with that. I'm going to put that in on the lathe. And then we're going to do some heat treating. So heat treating is very interesting. Um, I did some research, and there's an old uh, NBS article. So for you youngins, <laughs> and I'm looking at you, Tuck, the National Bureau of Standards, the NBS, turned into the NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Now, the reason that happened is political. It turns out, and I speak, I, I this is no word of a lie. I'm not making any of this up. If your agency has three letters in the name, it's very prestigious. And if your agency has four letters in the name, in the acronym, it's less prestigious prestigious. So the, uh, the, the organization formerly secret, which was the NRO, the national reconnaissance office beca- had three letters. It became the national geospatial mapping agency or something because it was politically, uh, uh, what's the word deprecated. So now they have four letters and the same thing with the NBS. Sorry, that's three letters. You're not, you're not a three-letter agency. You're now the NIST. So I'm not going to quote my sources, but anyway. The NIST, formerly the NBS, had this ancient paper on heat treating 52100, 100 And uh, I read it. I also read the uh, material from Knife Steel Nerds, Dr. Laren Thomas, I've talked about him before. Actually, here's his book. Here's a free plug. Hashtag not sponsored, although the uh, the sticky notes in it are sponsored. Okay. And and uh, and so I'm looking up how to heat treat 50 to 100. And then I looked up Robin Renzetti's method, uh, which is very detailed. You send it to solar atmospheres <laughs> and you tell them to heat treat it, which by the way is a really good idea. But I, you know, I'm gonna be prototyping some things. And it turns out that, uh, I, I derived a recipe from the NBS article, not doing a hundred percent of what they're doing, but you know, the important bits, and it's going to be for you, for you heat treating nerds, 1550 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, quench in the fast quenching oil. And, uh, then we're going to cryo, um, And what the NBS didn't do is they didn't do liquid nitrogen cryo. They did something else. I haven't figured it out yet. Because dry ice is about minus 150. No, minus 100 and something. Liquid nitrogen is minus 300 and something. These are Fahrenheit numbers. They were talking about minus 140. And if anybody knows what minus 140 sounds like, I I would like to hear about it. But I don't think there's going to be any harm in cryoing colder, and so we're just going to go liquid nitrogen. And I showed some pictures this morning on Instagram of my setup, um, which I've used pre- previously on A2 parts, and it comes out really nice. So 1550, uh, and then we come back in after after cryo. Oh, that's the other controversial thing. I'm going, I'm going to quench, and then from quench right to cryo. And there's some authors. I won't mention Bryson's name. There's some authors that say you should never do that. You're going to, you know, your part's going to explode and, and, you know, the East Coast is going to fall into the ocean. Um, but if you read Dr. Laren Thomas's book, you will understand what's going on and why you cryo and why you quench and, and all the things that are happening. And it turns out that you want to quench and then continue right down to the cold temperatures and then later come up and temper. So the temper temperature, temper temperature? Flat lapper says, yes, absolutely, sir. I did the reading. I know what you're talking about. Flat lapper says, consider spheroidize annealing. You said annealing twice, annealing on the 52-100. Yeah, they have a, a funny name for it. Um, it's a, yeah, I, I read about it. I'm going to not do it for the first one, uh, and I might not do it at all. But I recognize that it is a thing. Keep in mind that the NBS was very interested in developing size stability. I am not. I'm interested in shape stability. Now you can make the correct argument that shape stability is a is in is a species of size stability, but. As as somebody I spoke to in recent weeks said, the nice thing about flat is, you need temperature uniformity, not necessarily you know specific temperature. Carl says dry ice is used as a slurry in acetone and gives you minus seventy nine C. Could you get me to F on that, sir? But I th- I think that's colder than this. Uh, no, it's I think that's warmer than the number they were using, but. Anyway, I'm trying to figure out what they were using at minus 140 F. That was kind of weird. So uh, that's the story. We're gonna we're gonna uh, come out of uh, cryo and we're going to temper at 250. Ah, evils! My uh, resident researcher says liquid nitrogen and toluene will allegedly get you minus 140 F that's oh uh -95 C <laughs> okay um interesting so maybe that's what they were doing i don't have a reason not to go all the way down with uh with the cryo because based on what i'm reading in, in dr thomas's book also known as the knife steel nerd so that's the that's the plan we're going to uh make some very nice hockey pucks i've got three blanks cut uh, we're going to heat treat them in house. We're going to cryo them in house. We're going to grind them in house. And then we're going to lap them in house. And uh, I've been in touch with uh, Flat Lapper. We're going to continue that discussion on email. Uh, I've been in touch with Robin. Uh, Robin gave me some really cool tips. Um, and we're going to get back to lapping and see if we can get these things lapped to a gauge block finish over that nice three inch face, which I think is very doable. Um, and we will see how that goes. So stay tuned, come along for the ride. Um, I got a question about, ah, okay. Robin says, I think minus 148 is the limits of mechanical refrigeration. So, yeah, they probably have some lab refrigerator that's that's running super cold. And that's, uh, oh, is that minus 70 C? Somebody do some math. Uh, is that about minus 70 C for minus 148 F? Anybody? Anybody with a fast calculator? Jeff Loffert says dry ice itself is minus 110. So a slurry in alcohol will be closer to minus 100 F so minus 100 c so there my wife works at a pharmaceutical company and they do have these freezers that are called the minus 70 freezers and i wonder if it's the uh, oh carl uh sorry i didn't see your uh, request to speak um do, do you still want me to turn you on carl so to speak sorry i didn't i didn't notice your thing okay carl where's carl I'm gonna turn on your audio. Give me a second here, because I, you don't have video. Okay, Carl,
2: can you can you hear me?
0: I can hear you loud and clear, sir, and so can everybody else. What do you got?
2: Right. Uh, I just wanted to make the comment that anybody considering using liquid nitrogen, um, for you know for cooling chunks of steel or whatever will generate a huge volume of nitrogen gas. And if you're doing this like in a garage indoors with no ventilation, you're very likely to produce a hypoxic atmosphere. Thank and you. And as being a pilot, you know that you won't detect that. You won't get air hunger from that. You just get stupid.
0: Um, My, mighty stupid.
2: Yes. Right. So. Yeah. Do it outdoors, or do it in a very well ventilated area. Thank you. And you, you very... can turn me off now. That's my comment,
0: <laughs> Carl. Thank you. I'll let you go. I'll let you go back to the uh, to sucking on the nitrogen tank. Thanks. Uh, that was a very very good comment. Uh, I uh, both and that applies by the way also to uh, dry ice because dry ice is carbon dioxide. Liquid nitrogen is nitrogen. And it will uh, generate a lot of gas and displace oxygen, and that's not good. So I have this big Coleman uh, cooler, which I use, and I could sit it outside, or I could leave it in the uh, in the garage and crack one of the doors open. Which is my that's my procedure. So, so I think uh, Robin says minus sixty four C. So I, I believe that the 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 freezers that uh, Chandra is familiar with at the pharmaceutical company is the same mechanical refrigeration that they're talking about. That makes a lot of sense. I do not have one of those <laughs> and I'm not going to be getting one of those. So we're just going to go right down to uh, the liquid nitrogen. So the question came in and your, your comment, uh, Carl, was very timely. Uh, can you please Um, can you please comment on the use of, and the acquisition of liquid nitrogen for the small shop? And I, and I would like to do that. And I think, uh, that might be the last, the last thing we do here today. So the, the answer to that is I have an account with air gas. Uh, this is their business, right? I get my argon from them. I get my argon CO2 from them. I get my helium from them and I get my liquid nitrogen from them. The average small shop dude, um, any welding supplier, yeah, exactly. Um, any uh, you need an account with a welding supplier. Uh, the other thing is they have to be convinced, uh, formally or informally, that you know what you're doing, or they're not going to sell it to you. So, for example, when I go to get my liquid nitrogen. Uh, I used to have a Ford Flex which I really liked. It was wonderful. But it, of course it was a it was a cross between a van and a station wagon, right? It didn't it it was not a pickup truck. So when I told them that I was going to be buying liquid nitrogen, the the very nice person behind the counter who I knew for a long time said, "Oh yeah, we're not going to give you liquid nitrogen to put inside your Ford Flex." I said, "Don't worry, I'm going to have one of those shelves off the back of the trailer hitch and I'll have a rig for my doer. And it, I, when I showed up with it, they're like, oh, okay, that's fine, and that was good. But they are going to be very concerned about how you are going to transport it. And if they are not convinced that you know what you're doing, you're not getting it. So that And that also goes for tanks, right? They're not going to let you take a, 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 a high-pressure tank away and certainly acetylene, Uh, if, if you don't know what you're doing. So that's the first thing is you need a supplier, you need to do it safely and you need to make sure that they know that, you know, that they know that, you know what you're doing. Okay. Um, then there's the safety aspect. Okay. You need, you need full face mask. You need gloves. You need a way to handle the stuff that you know what you're doing because you will get frostbite in a hurry, um, If you, if the the wrong parts of your body go into the liquid nitrogen, um, yeah, Carl says, if you're doing large parts, have them deliver a carboy. So again, you have to have an account which might not be trivial. The short answer is for a small guy who does not have an account with air gas, for example, it's not trivial to get liquid nitrogen. It's hard, but you, you can do it. Um, uh, uh, brief splashes of liquid nitrogen on your skin are not the problem. Okay. Cause they will, they will form a, 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 ba- a vapor barrier before they do any damage. But if you dunk something into the liquid nitrogen, it's not good. Um, Carl says less expensive than you might expect. So I pay about $75 for 10 liters at a time of liquid nitrogen. I don't know if you consider that expensive or not expensive. It lasts quite a while. So if you're if you're um, cryoing small stuff, uh, that could be a one-month or two-month supply. So it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> Robert Simpson says, apparently Subarus are okay for tank transport and bottles. If the person selling you your stuff has a sense of humor, maybe. But be careful. Uh, Mar-tempering, yes. So Uh, I don't want to dive into this right now, Robin, but yes, Mar tempering is, I believe the name of that process I mentioned before where, uh, I think I did that in the discord server where they come down to 300 degrees in a salt bath and they hold it and then they, they go down further. But anyway, yes, Mar tempering is a thing. Um, Widget work says I showed up with a motorcycle with a backpack to get a five pound CO2 cylinder refilled. And they were a little hesitant to let me take it away. That's really funny. Uh, well, you were outside. It wasn't enclosed or anything. So I, I, would let you go. Um, so I don't have any easy answers for liquid nitrogen for the small shop. I'm, I have the privilege of, of having a big account with air gas. Believe me. They like me. All of your PFG stones, PFGstones.com. Uh, all your PFG stones come from uh, from Norton via air gas. So we have a you know a negotiated rate, and we have a, a volume. And so when I go in there for gas, it's I get I get the good stuff. Um, Zawada Custom Knives said, "The more liquid nitrogen you buy." That cheaper there it is. I fill a twenty liter doer eighty five bucks in northern Michigan. Yes, I can get a bigger doer and pay less. You're paying mostly for the op for the operation of filling it, for sure. So, um, but that's how I dipped my toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, was with a ten liter doer. I think we answered that question sufficiently. If not, we made it confusing enough to be amusing. Um, I think we did it. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for being there. Stick around for more, um, more, uh, quick chips on the YouTube, uh, as the projects move along, it's kind of fun. It's easy to do. And I'll, I'll continue doing that. We have a couple of videos in the pipeline that'll be full length, um, high production videos. So they're a little more work and, uh, we'll get that done. Uh, if you're on the Discord server, stick around. We'll be in the after-party roundtable. Uh, if you're interested in getting yourself some PFG stones, head over to pfgstones.com, and the rest will be uh, self-explanatory. Eventually, uh, you know, if we develop a product out of this uh, this toolmaker's flat thing, we'll put it up on the store. I apologize in advance; it won't be cheap. Um, so that's all I got. CJ Stevens says, everybody have a great week. Hit that like and subscribe button before you go. Thank you. CJ is my uh my master of the like and subscribe button. Flat Lapper says, thanks. You're welcome, Flat Lapper. Thanks for being here. And we will continue our conversation um, on the emails. Uh Robin says the liquid nitrogen is cheaper than the $450 minimum solar charges for vacuum hardened, deep freeze, and vacuum temperature. But they can do it. <laughs> So we'll have to do a batch of something interesting with with solar and show everybody. I know you've done some stuff, and it's pretty awesome. Brian Rodney, uh, have a good week yourself, sir. Uh, CJ Stevens reminds us, doink. Tucker says, cheers. Thanks for the great discussion. You guys are awesome. We'll see you later. And remember,
2: get flat and stay flat. We'll see you.